Good morning, New Hope. The last seven weeks, we've been looking at the life of Daniel. What a guy, eh? How many of you have been here for, let's say, at least, um, we were here last week. That'll be a good, good place. Oh, great. Okay. We've been looking at how to stand strong in the tests of life. Tests that come into your life and my life, but we've been learning lessons from the past from Daniel, how he stood strong. And as you know, quick summary for those of you who weren't here, about 2,500 years ago, the Babylonian Empire invaded Jerusalem and sacked it. They actually totally destroyed it and they took prisoners of war captive. Daniel was one of those. So it's imagine, imagine you and your children. The invading enemy comes and they grab your kids and they take them off. And those kids are never to return to your land. Very stressful. Fifteen years old, Daniel was when he left. That's a bit of Yoda speak there. I've got myself the wrong way around. Daniel is a displaced Jewish teenager taken away as a prisoner of war to a foreign country. And he was selected there for a particularly unique intern program. And in spite of opposition we saw in the first series, first couple of messages in the series, we saw him continually getting promoted. So in spite of opposition, this guy didn't wither. He stood strong and he was promoted. Amazing, this guy. This guy outlasts multiple kings and two very separate empires. And eventually, so where we left him even last week, I want you to understand this. We're moving the clock forward now, 70 years. So if he was 15 then, how old is he now? 85 years old. So this is a different Daniel. We look the same guy, but he's looking a little grayer. Huh? <laughs> Pete, <laughs> looking a little grey, like me, that's right. But I want you to notice he came in as a POW 15, when he was 15. 70 years later, he is now second in the kingdom. Second. He's been promoted, 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 promoted. Not just on easy street. He has been through some severe tests. Severe tests. Now, today, if you want to just sort of summarize, we today are going to pick up from Daniel chapter 5. This is where we're learning. So if you have your Bibles with you, I'd encourage him to open them up to Daniel chapter 5. If not, you can follow me along on the screen. And the, last week, Nebuchadnezzar, we were looking at, he was reigning. He has died. He reigned 45 years and he died. And remember, Daniel had led this man to faith in God near the end of his life. So Nebuchadnezzar, oh man, he screwed up. He was arrogant and proud, but God humbled him. He recognized it and said, God, actually, I'm not God, you are. And he led him to God. Daniel led that man to God. Now, in chapter 5, his scallywag of a grandson, Belshazzar, is now king. He was a terrible leader. Capital T for terrible and trouble, this guy. He was a spoilt royal brat. You would not have liked him. And all he liked to do, like a rich kid, was drink himself under the table. And party with friends. Now this guy only lasts two years, thank God. And the Bible 
only records, you can read this in secular history, but the Bible only records the very last night of his life. And this is what we're going to look at tonight. Bit of context in Daniel 5, while you're finding that, the city and the empire of Babylon were surrounded and about to be attacked by their enemies. Two very powerful enemies. Those of you who took classics and history would know who they are, right? Darius the Mede and Cyrus the Persian. You've probably heard of the law of the Medes and the Persians, okay? You can go read this in history. And the armies were camped around the walls, but they got a whole bunch of stores inside and thought, we're going to just wait. They're going to go away because we've got enough stores for years. So what does this boy do, this brat of a king? He makes three stupid mistakes because he failed to learn from previous generations. The first mistake he made, and I haven't put that in your outline, but he foolishly ignored a growing threat. You may just want to write your own notes. You make your own notes as you go along. And then go back and read it and see how it fits. He foolishly, Belshazzar, refused to learn from previous generations. He ignored a growing threat. And in spite of the enemies camped outside, what does he do? He throws a party. He's sticking his hand in the proverbial sand. He throws a party for a thousand people. And his nation is sliding downhill, about to be taken. And all this guy cares about is entertainment. Dumb mistake. Second mistake, which is the icing on the cake here, he used what was sacred for selfish purposes. That's a big one. He used what was supposed to be set apart for God for selfish purposes. So they're all having this party. Get the picture. They're all drunk. I want to make a small observation there. Habitually indulging in any appetite gets boring after a while. And sin always follows the law of diminishing returns. So then, Belshazzar, I've done this all my life. I've gotten drunk. I want to spice this up a bit. So then he gets a very bad idea. A very sacrilegious idea. He goes, I know. We got drunk lots of times. Let's spice it up and get drunk using the sacred Jewish worship cups that we stole from the temple of God when we sacked Jerusalem, the ones that we got in our museum. And the third mistake he made is he worshipped idols instead of God. Very bad mistake. Let's pick this up in Daniel chapter 5, starting at verse 1. NIV version on the screen. I want to give you a bit of a summary. King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for thousands of his nobles, and they all got drunk. Well, Belshazzar was drinking his wine. Notice the drinking and the drunk, how much it's mentioned in this passages. Well, Belshazzar was drinking his wine. He gave orders to bring the gold and the silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his predecessor, had taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem. He thought it would be fun to drink using these goblets intended for the worship of God. That relates to the mistake number two. So they did use the cups. 
laughing, making toast to all the pagan gods and idols. Suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared in the royal banquet hall and began to supernaturally write on the plaster walls of the royal palace. Whoa! Now, my guess is that at that point, Belshazzar's first impulse is to wonder whether it's had a little bit too much Chardonnay. And that maybe he ought to switch to coffee at this point. But then he sees the words are real. And this terrifies him. As it should do. The king and all the guests watched as his hand, this hand wrote. When the king saw it, it scared him to death. And his face turned pale. And he was so frightened that his knees knocked together and his hips gave way. Now that's a very polite way of saying he was scared mm, spitless. Or witless. Or any other word that rhymes with that. Now everyone saw the handwriting on the wall. That's where the term comes from. The handwriting's on the wall. That's exactly where that comes from. You've heard that in colloquial speech. But no one, including his wise men, knew what it meant. 5.12. The queen said, this man Daniel has a sharp mind. She remembered. And is filled with knowledge and understanding. He can interpret dreams, explain their meaning, of mysteries, and he can solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel. He'll tell you what it means. Everyone else is clueless. Circle what it means. By the way, today a lot of people that you meet want to know what this life means. What is the purpose of life? What's after death? Those questions are being asked in my family circle right now. They want to know. Where am I going? Seems weird, eh? 80 years and that's it. So this king means someone's Daniel. Now over 60 years has gone by, remember? Actually 70. And Daniel's now in his 80s and his hair is now grey. And although grey hair is not a sign of decrepitude... In scripture, it's actually prized. Do you know that? The Bible says in Proverbs 16, gray hair is a crown of splendor. There you go, Pete. <laughs> so Daniel was brought before the king, and the king said to him, ah, Now notice. What does he say? Are you Daniel? What does that tell you? He doesn't know who he is. Are you one of the. And then he, then he almost puts him down. Aren't you, are you Daniel, one of the exiles, my father the king, putting his big power play here, the king brought from Judah? Mega contrast, notice it. We saw at one time in Daniel's life, he was the right hand man of the most powerful king on the face of the earth. And now, at 85, he's been thoroughly discarded and doesn't even recognize who he is. Are you Daniel? 
Now because, and this isn't because Daniel had lost any of his ability, but because this king is a fat joke and a jerk. He doesn't want to hear the truth about God and himself, so he sort of doesn't even talk to Daniel when he had opportunity in the past. Now one glance as Daniel comes in here, as he, one glance around the room tells Daniel what's been going on. That is, the king who's charged by God to serve the people is serving only himself. And there's a moment, that moment, where Daniel spies out of the corner of his eye those golden goblets. And he hasn't seen those perhaps since he was back in Jerusalem, since he was a boy. And he remembers what they should have been used for, the worship of God. And now the scandalous, sacrilegious, self-indulgent king is just dissing his God. 5.14 The king says, I have heard that the spirit of the gods, obviously he hadn't followed in his grandfather's footsteps very closely, otherwise he'd know it's the God the most holy one. I've heard that the spirit of God is in you and that you have an insight, intelligence, and outstanding wisdom. Those three parts were correct. Amazing, though, that he still had the reputation that he'd heard of for these three things, three very wise things. So I want to quickly look this morning at how can we become wise like Daniel and honor God? And I'm going to conclude with probably one of the most penetrating questions in Scripture. How can I be wise like Daniel? Well, first of all, we can see in the balance of Scripture to make a commitment to never stop learning. If you are serious to become wise like Daniel and honor God with your life, you need to make a commitment to never stop learning. It starts with a choice, and nobody can decide that for you. If it's, that's up to you to make that choice. And you have to come to a realization that learning is important for the rest of your life. And by the way, when you get to heaven, you'll still be learning. And it may shock you, and some of you especially, that your education doesn't stop when you graduate school or university. See, learning is not a stage of life. And God wants to shake some of you up today on this issue because you've said, oh, I did that. No, you haven't. Learning is a lifestyle. It is a lifestyle. And God wants you to learn something new every day. That's called discipleship. A disciple is a disciplined learner. And he calls us as Christians, if we call ourselves Christians, to be disciplined learners. This is the purpose of maturity. God's will for you is that you grow in the grace and the knowledge. Grow, not stagnate, not be stunted, not stop growing. But you may continually grow. This is very important. Why does God want you to keep on learning? Why is it good stewardship? 
God wants you to be a good steward of the gifts that he gave you and to stay sharp. Ecclesiastes 10.10, one of my life verses, says if the axe is dull, if the axe is dull and its edge is unsharpened, it's blunt, more strength is needed. But, contrast, skill will bring success. A person can either use wisdom and sharpen his axe or leave it unsharpened and burn a whole bunch more energy. Sharpening the blade, let me give you some precision on this. It means recognizing where the problem exists, acquiring and honing the skills or tools to do the job better than going out and doing it. So, this is what the Bible encourages. To find the areas of your life where the axe is dull and sharpen your skills so that you can be more effective for God's work. God wants you to use your talents and skills for his purposes. The Bible says in Proverbs 19.8, do yourself a favor. Learn all you can, then remember what you learn and you will prosper. So circle prosper and then learn. The more you learn, I found, the more you earn too. That's a side benefit. That's not the main thrust of this message, but I want to underline that life principle. The more you learn, the more you earn. You can learn from anybody if you just learn to ask the right questions. But the key is you must pay attention. And the Bible says that in Proverbs 23, 12. It's on the screen here. Pay attention to your teacher and, you, and learn all you can. You can pay me for that later, Tina. <laughs> all you teachers. Second key is learn the lessons which is, this guy Belshazzar did not do, learn the lessons of past generations. Job 8.9 says, ask former generations and find out what their fathers learned. For we were born only yesterday, and we know so little. Well, how do you learn from former generations? They are dead. How do you learn from dead people? Well, you read biographies. You get somebody older to mentor you. That's a bit closer to home. Now, it is wise to learn from your mistakes and your experiences, but it's even smarter to learn from other people. You don't have to pay the bills. You, you can see what they did and what worked and what didn't. It's too expensive to learn all the mistakes yourself. And why learn them twice when you can learn from somebody else? That's why so much of the Bible is biographical. All the lessons are there. Notice in 1 Corinthians 10. These things occurred as examples to warn us and to keep us from wanting to do the same evil things they did. For Scripture says that we should avoid drunken parties, sexual immorality, and worshipping things that aren't God. We should not test the Lord's patience. Very clear, look what it says. Or grumble, or complain, as some did and died. These things happened as examples, and were written down, written down, as warnings for us. It's important, if you want to succeed in life, to have mentors, and models, and partners, and friends that can that can share willingly their life lessons, their marriage lessons, their spiritual lessons with you. Thirdly, if I want to 
be wise like Daniel was and honor God, I need to maintain a humble attitude that honors God. A humble attitude. See, humility and teachability go hand in hand. Have you ever tried to teach somebody who thought they knew everything? Blooming tough. The more humble, the less you stumble. Pride goes before destruction. There's a clear link in Scripture. And humility starts by realizing that you are not God and that you need God. If you don't think you need God, you have a pride issue. An overinflated opinion of who you are and your abilities. Proverbs 15.33 says this, Reverence for the Lord is an education in itself. You must be humble before you can ever receive honors. And by the way, do you know that one of the first marks of humility to God after you've given your life to him is to be baptized? That's one of the first marks of humility. You said, believe, I've done that, and then you said, be baptized. Question, have you been baptized? That's a mark of humility if you haven't. If you're interested, on your communication card, let us know about that. And we'd love to baptize you in this beautiful weather before it gets chilly. And we have to squeeze you into Martin Sparpool, a jacuzzi for Jesus. Here's another reason. Even Jesus' half-brother, James, he says real clear, never forget this, God opposes the proud. That's a strong word. Oppose. I don't want to be on the, op- on the opposite side from God because I tell you who's going to lose, me. But he gives grace to the humble. Why is God opposed to the proud? Because they're unteachable. They always think they know best. And I've found that the most consequential things in life can only be learned directly from God. Number four. We touched on this in session two, but again, I want to underline this. Refuse to fill my mind with junk. Junk. We looked at this verse exactly, but I want to spin it a different way this way. Proverbs 15, 14 says, A wise person is hungry for the truth. They're seekers of the truth, while a fool feeds on trash. What do you spend more time engaging? I asked this question before. Facebook or facing his book? Jesus answered this. It is written. That's a serious question. How much time did you spend last week on Facebook? And if you balance that in the scales with how much time you spent in the book, which is going to win that? Jesus, and this is why it's important, it is written, Matthew 4.4, man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And the real bottom line reason why many of you don't have an appetite to read the Bible is because you're so full up with junk food. Remember what your mother used to say, don't eat that junk, you'll never eat your dinner. Well, that's what mine said. Maybe yours didn't. <laughs> the point is, I didn't have any appetite for the real stuff because it only filled my, my, my little belly with other stuff. And maybe that's something. There's only so much time in the day. If you fill it all up with Facebook, how much time have you got left for his book? Now, I want to pick up a story. After Belshazzar and his guests saw the writing on the wall, the Bible says in 5.16, the wise men and chanters were brought before me to read this writing and tell me what it means. 
but they could not explain it. Now I've heard that you, Daniel, are able to give interpretations to solve difficult problems. So here, uh, notice the irony. Here's the king who's had no regard up until this moment, this last night of his life, for Daniel's past career. Didn't care about Daniel's past career. This is the king who'd forgotten Daniel's people, and this is the same king who blasphemed Daniel's God. He sees the writing on the wall and has the gall to ask for a favor. He says, tell me what it means. And he says, if you can read this writing and tell me what it means, 516 here, you will be clothed in purple and have gold chain placed around your neck and you'll be made the third highest ruler in this kingdom. So he tells Daniel, I'll give you lots of presents. And the implication is, well, it will pay for you, Daniel, to tell me, Belshazzar, what I want to hear. Now, where you are sp- or when you're speaking to somebody very powerful, have you ever noticed this effect that's happening right now with Daniel? When you're speaking to somebody very powerful, it's very tempting to shrink back from telling the truth and calling it as it really is. It's tempting to shrink back and not stand strong because you want to obtain those rewards. And you will want to avoid the potential punishment. He could have his head cut off immediately. But Daniel, an 85-year-old man, demonstrates incredible courage. And he's very clear to Belshazzar, he will not play that game. And he takes courage. He wants Belshazzar to know he can't buy his way out of this pickle. Notice the magnificent courage of this old man. 517. Then Daniel answered the king, you may keep your gifts yourself. That's actually a very gutsy statement. That's got a bite in it. Keep your gifts yourself. And give your rewards to someone else. In other words, I'm not influenced by that. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. O king, most high, the most high God gave your father Nebuchadnezzar. Actually, no, just one thing, one point of, when you read this, you may, to clarify, you need to understand Nebuchadnezzar was his grandfather, but in the Babylonian culture, you called any pre, um, predecessor your father. You know, our fathers, like, hang on, I've only got one father. You know, but it's fathers, so, just, so it's clear. So they're using the predecessor term here. Your father Nebuchadnezzar, God gave him great sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. Because of the high position he gave him, all the peoples and all the nations and men of every language dreaded and feared him. Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. And to those he wanted to promote, he promoted. And to those he wanted to humble, he humbled. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from the people and given the mind of an animal. He lived in the wild with the wild donkeys and ate grass like cattle and his body was drenched with a dew from heaven until he acknowledged that the most high God is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and sets them over anyone he wishes. 
But you as son of Belshazzar have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this, and you didn't learn Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven, and you have taken the goblets from his temple, brought to you, and you and your nobles and your wives and your concubines drank the wine from them. You praise the gods of silver and gold, bronze and iron and stone, which cannot see or understand, but you did not honor the God who holds his life in your hand and all your ways. Therefore, he sent the hand and wrote the inscription. Now, Daniel may be sharing one of the most arresting phrases in Scripture. And I wanted to put this up here. So flip the um, slide up, please, man. Mm, one more. I want you to take a very careful look at those two words. You knew. You knew. You knew, and you knew, and you knew. Daniel sells to Belshazzar, you knew. It's bad enough that Belshazzar did such stupid and wicked things. What makes it worse is he knew better. He knew that Nebuchadnezzar had been given what he had from the hand of God. He knew that the penalty for pride and arrogance was going to be huge humility. He knew who God was. He knew what God wanted. And Daniel says to him, you knew. No excuse. You knew. Point is, the young Belshazzar did not want to know. He knew, but he didn't want to know. He So he closed his eyes. He didn't want to look at the signs. He didn't want to learn from what had happened to Nebuchadnezzar. Didn't want to have a bar of it. So he threw another party got drunk a little more, blew more money to keep his mind up, but deep inside, he knew. This is one of the greatest dangers of spiritual life, family. It is called strategic avoidance, if you want. We avoid thinking about, reading about, Dwelling on and looking at that which may convict us, cause us pain, or call us to change the priorities of our lives. We avoid it. What's staggering about this is I know, I know what is right. I know that God is a judge. I know that because he's a judge, the only way out of this is that Christ had to die for my sins. I know that the pain of my sin causes God pain. But I still sin, and so do you. So I want to be very personal for a moment. Is there any area of your life where you no. But you're closing your eyes. You're avoiding the issue or the call of God on your life. And you're burying yourself in busyness. See, King Belshazzar 
we've lost everything because he pridefully refused to learn the lessons of the previous generation. And he's about to pay the penalty. Which brings me to point five, which is put into practice what I have learned. This is so important, not just listening. I can go to the doctor and I can learn that I have a particular ailment. And you can say, this is what you need to do. You need to take these tablets three times a day. They're absolutely useless to me unless I act on the knowledge that I have. And that is the whole lesson, the very scary lesson of Matthew 4, 5, and 6. Put into practice what I've learned. You must apply it. You must act on it. You must internalize what you've learned. So King Belshazzar lost everything because he failed to do this. Here it is. I want to paraphrase this. Daniel said, King Belshazzar, even though you knew all that happened to your father Nebuchadnezzar, you didn't learn and you still refused to humble yourself before God who rules from heaven. Daniel effectively says two things. You knew, but you didn't act on it. You didn't learn. You didn't change. You knew, but you didn't do it. There's a couple of points I noticed in life. Maybe you've noticed this too. I can know something and still not live it. I can know the right thing to do and not do it. The Bible says if I know the right thing to do and I don't do it, the Bible calls that sin. Knowing what to do and not doing it is sin. I once saw an ad in the country where we used to live. It was actually an insurance ad, but it said this. You're not really a firefighter unless you fight fires. You're not really an actress unless you've acted in something. You're not really an author unless you've written a book. And I want to add, you're not really a believer unless you start believing and living what you claim to believe. And that's a stark warning of the book of James. A whole book on that. So the second point is, I haven't learnt it until I do it. I can say, wow, that's so great. When I used to go to Kevin for piano lessons, I say, Kevin, that is awesome. And he'd go, great. Have you learnt it? I'm going, ha. Ah. And you know what he'd tell me? Here are the keys. Go. <laughs> and of course, when I go there, I've got to be able to do it. It's only when I do it, I've learned it. Otherwise, I'm fooling myself. I don't know how to drive a car. I, I, I may know how to drive a car in a video game. But if I've never actually got behind a wheel and driven a real car, I don't know how to do it. Here's a takeaway for today. If I don't humbly learn from the generations before me, I will end up making the same mistakes of knowing and not doing so let's wrap this up. Belshazzar knew better. And the day of reckoning was about to come, and now it had. And God writes these three words on the wall. This is the message that was written. I'm reading from 525. This is the message that was written. Many, many, that means numbered. Numbered. Tekel means weighed. Pasin means broken or divided. Each word serves to puncture. I like that word, puncture. Pop his balloon. That Belshazzar clings to. It makes him, and it possible for him, impossible for him to now live in spiritual denial. Many numbered. 
The illusion that he's been under is, it's my life, I can live it like I want. Busying myself with the things in my life. My life belongs to me, I'm free to do whatever I want with it. I'm responsible to no one. That was his illusion. On the other hand, the truth is, God says, I have numbered your days, Belshazzar. This is mainly not a chronological statement, it is a theological statement. Where God is saying, it's not just your life. You are where you are, you have what you have because God created you, gifted you and appointed you to do work for him this little time here whilst you're on earth. Which is a squinty 80 odd years. Tickle, you have been weighed by the judge of all the earth and found wanting. The illusion is that he was operating, well, I'm probably clever enough or strong enough or more powerful enough to get away with any wrongdoing. God says that's false. Here's the truth. Punches the balloon again, second puncture. I have seen every action, every even idle word that you have spoken. I have monitored your total disregard for me and you're ignoring me and you're being weighed on the scales and you're being found wanting. This is serious business. This is God. This is judgment. And then the third word, parson, which means broken or divided. These three words sum up your life. Numbered, weighed and broken or divided. Your kingdom is broken and divided and will be taken away from you. There's an illusion involved here and the illusion is my life will go on the way I want for as long as I want it to go on. And God said to Belshazzar what he says to another rich guy in the New Testament, you fool. You fool. This night, the thread is cut. Your life will be demanded of you tonight. Your kingdom will be broken. Now, who's going to get all that stuff? And you see, all of us, you are guaranteed in this one moment. That's all we've guaranteed. There's no tomorrow. We're not guaranteed any of that. You just have this one life to do what God calls you to. And you have no idea how many more days are going to be involved in it. Same for me as for you. Now, just this one life to do what Nebuchadnezzar did. To humble yourself. That's what Nebuchadnezzar did back there. To ask forgiveness and then to act. Daniel says to Belshazzar, King, this is your last night on earth. Your whole life has been numbered to this point, And this is it. This is the last number. Daniel says that, and then he's silent. And he waits for Belshazzar to respond. We wait for him to do what Nebuchadnezzar did. Raise his eyes to heaven, humble himself, and to submit to God, sovereign almighty. We wait for Belshazzar to do what the prodigal son did. To come to his senses, to fall on his knees in Luke 15. 
We wait for Belshazzar to do what the thief on the cross did. Throw up a final prayer and realize what a desperate state he was in. To fall on his knees to repent of his sin and to beg for mercy. And there's just silence in that room. Then Belshazzar's command, Daniel is clothed in purple, a golden chain is placed around the neck. Irrespective, he didn't want it, and he's proclaimed the third highest rule of the kingdom. That was the shortest promotion. It didn't last 10 hours. That very night, Belshazzar, the king of the Babylonians, you go read it, was slain in history. He dies alienated from the God of heaven. Alienated from the God of heaven. And the writer lets his life stand, his life stand, in stark contrast to Nebuchadnezzar as a severe warning to anyone who refuses to humble himself or herself before God. And that's the end. 530.31. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain. And Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. So Babylon fell to the Medo-Persians on the 16th month of Tishri. You can read this. In the autumn of 539 BC. The Greek historians Herodotus and Xenophon both agree that, with Daniel that Babylon was captured without a major battle and the citizens readily accepted the Persian rule. So, I'd like to ask you to think as we look at this next words on this line. You knew. Think about your final night, which will come for you and it will come for me, as it did for Belshazzar. Now, if you're not a Christian, I want you to know this, that none of us measure up to God's standard. Every one of us has been weighed in the scales and we've been found wanting. That's why Jesus died to pay for our moral debt. God offers forgiveness. If you understand this, and if you choose to ask, you can receive that forgiveness. But it's your choice. You can do it right now, and I hope you will. On the other hand, for the Christ followers, we don't have to worry about eternal destiny. We have such a gift. But I do want to ask you this. If the writing were to come on the wall for you tonight, if you were to find out that your days were numbered and coming to an end, do you have unfinished business for the king? Is there anything that you need to get on with and take care of for his purposes? I'm not talking about finish painting the house. What does that mean? I'm talking about the important stuff in life. Some of you maybe, for example, need to forgive somebody that you still haven't done. You knew. You knew. Get started on that. Some of you have piercing regret about a situation back then. You need to forgive that person. Because you'll never have to forgive anybody else more than Christ forgave you. Some of you need to change your habit of parenting and your patterns of parenting. 
or patterns in the way that you're relating to your spouse because you know it is wrong. You know. Some of you have to finally get serious about addressing a sinful habit. Can I encourage you? Get serious. Don't do like Belshazzar did and stick his head in the sand. Some of you, God has been calling you to serve him or give in a way that he's allowed you to. And you've been resisting it for whatever reason. Maybe fear of men, fear of a woman, fear of the unknown, fear of the future, or maybe it's just sheer stubbornness or whatever. Why don't you say, yes, God, how could I but serve you? Have you got any unfinished business? You know what's at stake. This is your one and only life. You knew it. Will you humbly learn from those who came before you and live it? Because you haven't learned it until you do it. So why don't you stand with me now as we close in prayer. That's about I want to stand as a sign of respect of the serious business in your hearts and my hearts. Let's bow our heads. Firstly, I want to address, and for those of you who are Christians, would you pray in your minds for what I'm going to say. Some of you here today haven't asked God to adopt you into his family. Can I encourage you to pray along with me in your mind? Would you say in your mind, Dear God, I know that you made me and I know that you love me. But I really want to know you personally. I want you in my life. So today as I humble myself, I open my life to you. I want to start the journey of learning about you Not just about the world and about others and about myself, but about you. I want to learn more about you every day. So as best as I know how, I humble myself and I ask you to accept me and adopt me into your family. I want to learn to love you. I want to learn to trust you. And I want to learn to understand Jesus, what you came to do. I want to grow in wisdom. I want to make a commitment to never stop learning more about you and learning about the life and anything else you want to teach me. Help me to learn the lessons of past generations as I read your word, Lord, and not to make the same dumb mistakes as they did. Help me to maintain an attitude of humility that honors you in all that I do. And God, help me to be more discriminating in what I allow into my mind May my mind be filled with your word. And most of all, help me to practice and to do what I have learned. To act on what I know. Holy Spirit, help me to get about your business and to focus on your interests and not be so distracted with the cares of this world. I don't want to get to the end of my life and hear you say, You knew. But because of my procrastination and delay, I had unfinished business for you that I knew I needed to get on with. 
Help me to elevate and support your plans and purposes for your kingdom's sake. We simply pray this in your son's powerful name. And everybody said, Amen. God bless you.